0: And You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today on this holiday weekend as we celebrate Memorial Day and remembering all the men and women who have fought and died for our freedom. And my prayer is that sometime today and tomorrow as we go throughout uh, These hours where we take a break in some ways that we would just pause and say, thank you, Lord, for all those who gave their lives so that we can sit here and worship in freedom this morning and have all the many other freedoms that we have. Um, Yeah, let's do that right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for the many men and women throughout the years who have given their life and sacrificed themselves so that we could sit here this morning and pray this prayer. And Lord, we pray for our nation now. We ask that you would be the only one that truly guides us. We pray for all those in positions of power. We pray that their hearts would be softened and that they would seek nothing but your will and your ways. And Lord, in moments when we don't see that, we trust you. We trust you. Because we know that your throne sits high above any earthly throne. And Lord, that's why we're here this morning. Because you truly are the only king forever. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' good and powerful name and everybody said, amen. Amen. By way of announcements, um, uh, just... A couple of things. Uh, First of all, we start with our Wednesday night worship this Wednesday night over in the East Sanctuary. So uh, please come out and be a part of that. We're very excited about it. If you'd like to read ahead, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 37. That's where I'll be preaching from Wednesday night. Uh, Also, I want to say thank you so much for your faithful giving week in and week out as an act of worship to the Lord. You can give in the boxes that are in the back. We're texting the number that you see on the screen or in the Frasier app, and there'll also be a time of unique giving at the end of the service as well. If you're a guest with us, uh, we say welcome. We'd love to connect with you. There's a connection card uh, in the back of the pew in front of you. If you're watching online and on television, uh, you can text connect to the number that you see on the screen there. All you have to do if you're in the room is drop those off in the boxes or go out to the connection point. We'd love to know how we can serve you better. And for those of you who are in the room, would you please join me in welcoming our online and television audience? This is Pentecost Sunday in the church year, and the text today reminds us of how much we truly need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if you have a Bible, please open up to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Uh, I want us to look at this text for just a few moments and then A good friend of mine, Louise, is here. He's going to be preaching with me this morning, and you are going to be so blessed by what he has to say. So, if you don't mind, one more time, as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home, Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to start with the question this morning, and that question is simply, why do followers fade? Why do followers fade away? We all have known someone, or maybe it's us. We've seen someone make a bold profession of faith in Jesus. They say, I I want to follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'll follow him wherever he wants me to go. And yet, it seems that that bold profession lasts no time. Why do followers fade? I think what this text gets at this morning is the heart of discipleship and the type of commitment that must be solidified in the heart of everyone who calls themselves a disciple. Now, I'm using the word disciple intentionally, but because of our culture that we live in, particularly in the South, there's a difference between a believer, as we use the word, and a disciple. People say all the time they believe in something, or they maybe believe in God, or they believe in Jesus. But there's a difference between just Believing with your mind in something that something could be real, could be possible, and actually being a disciple. The word disciple used in Scripture, and I'm using that word because it is in Scripture, and because a disciple is an apprentice of Rabbi Jesus. A disciple wants to be just like the teacher in every way possible. The disciple does not just want to know what the teacher knows, a disciple wants to be just like the teacher in every way possible. That means the word disciple, when you read it in the Bible, actually flies in the face of our culture today. Our culture today tells you to be you. You be the unique you. You, you. Matter of fact, you can define you now. You can define who you are. You can even redefine your gender today. The whole culture around us tells us you just find out who you are or who you want to be, and then you make those definitions. But listen, God, God says his goal for our life, is that we become like his son. He wants us to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of his son. We all love Romans 8, 28, don't we? It's a life verse of mine. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But we have to read verse 29. Verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, who he foreknew would choose him, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's goal for us is to be conformed, to be molded, to be shaped into the image of Jesus. Not for us to create ourselves in our own image. We've all heard that statement that God, in the beginning, created us in His image and likeness. And ever since, we've been trying to do the same back to Him. To create God in our image, or to make ourselves, or define our own image. One of the things we have to understand is that in Romans fourteen twelve, Scripture tells us that every person will one day stand before God and give an account of themselves. Each and every one of us will. Each and every one of us will. And the question on that day will be, did we want to become like his son? Or did we want to drive the definitions of that? The text that we see today gets at the heart of this great calling. And there's three movements in the text. I'm I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. The first movement we see in verses 57 and 58 In that first movement, what we see is that we have to consider the cost that is required to follow Jesus. We have to consider the cost that is required to follow Jesus. Verse 57 says, as they were going along the road, we know from verse 51 that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. This is a turning point in the gospel story. Now Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and the events that will happen on Calvary, death, burial, resurrection, all of that. So he's on that journey now. That's the road they are on. But someone says as they're going along the road, They say, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Jesus turns to him and says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It seems like an odd response. I mean, in today's culture, if someone says, Jesus, I'll follow you or or any other volunteer organization, I will follow. I'll go wherever you want to go. We always say, sign them up, right? But Jesus turns this man and he doesn't say, I'll sign you up. The man makes this bold profession in Jesus, I will go wherever you want me to go. And Jesus turns around and says, well, you need to understand something. You need to understand that in following me, there is no comfort and there is no luxury. I don't even have a place to sleep. Jesus said just a few verses earlier in Luke 9, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And what Jesus is communicating to people over and over is that if you're going to follow him, you have to understand there is no comfort, there is no luxury. Instead, there is at least seasonal, seasonal self-denial and sacrifice. At least seasonal. Which means if we call ourselves a follower of Christ and there is no self-denial and no sacrifice in our life, then we, if we're going to have integrity, have to question our own followership. We have to question that if we're going to have integrity. Because to follow him and the cost of following him is that self-denial and sacrifice. And he is the one that paved the way and modeled that for us. Movement two. We see it in verses 59 and 60. And this movement tells us that following Jesus calls for real-time, immediate obedience. Real-time, immediate obedience. As Jesus is walking along the road, someone says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, there's no comfort or luxury here. And then Jesus looks at a man on the side of the road and he says, follow me. But the man said back, Lord... First, Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And when we read that, we say, well, that's, that's not very sensitive of Jesus to say such a thing. I mean, this man's father may have just passed away, or maybe he's about to pass away. But notice his language. Jesus calls out and says, follow, follow me. And the man says, but first. But first. In that moment, in his hesitation, he's revealing that he has divided attention in that moment. Yes, he sees Jesus and who he is, but there's something else that has his attention. And You see, when you have divided attention, divided attention will always lead to delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is always disobedience. It was Elizabeth Elliot, whose first husband was Jim Elliot, the missionary who died on the mission field. Amazing story. Elizabeth Elliot said these words, she said, when obedience to God contradicts what I think gives me pleasure, what I think will give me pleasure, let me ask myself if I love him. When obedience to God contradicts what I think will give me pleasure in life, what will serve me in life, she said, I must stop and ask the question, do I really love him? You see, we forget that because God has given us everything in salvation that he can actually ask anything of us. We forget that so quickly. We become so entitled or we say, God, there's only certain things you can ask of me. There was a man uh, by the name of Charles Studd. He was uh, a cricket player in Britain. He was born in 1860, He died in 1931. He was a famous cricket player and I mean, he would have been like a celebrity athlete of his day. And it was, it was, he felt called to go onto the mission field. He actually died in the Congo in 1931, but he said these words, He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That's the kind of real-time immediate obedience that Jesus is calling for in this text and he calls for in our lives. Even in those hard moments. And again, he's not saying you don't attend a funeral. He's not saying you don't take care of your family. This is very specific to this man. The prescription is, but, but it's applicable to us. That Jesus, because he gives us everything, can ask anything of us. Movement three, 61 and 62. This movement tells us that following Jesus calls for real-time, immediate allegiance. Allegiance, verse 61. Another person yelled out to Jesus, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first, there's the language, let me first say well to those at my home Jesus tells him no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know the details of why this man wanted to return home. Maybe he just wanted to see his family. Maybe he wanted to tie up some business things. Maybe it was a financial decision. But one of the things that's um, uh, probably true here because of the cultural context and the way family was done in the first century is this man probably wanted to go home to make sure he had the approval and blessing of his family to start following Jesus. Very common And one of the tests of allegiance that we have is who do we seek approval from? Who do we seek approval from? That tells us where our real allegiance is. And I think this is why Jesus is using the image of the plow. In the first century, for someone to plow a row and for it to be straight, they had to put both hands on the plow, they had to lean into it behind the animal that was dragging it, and they had to fix their eyes on a point beyond the field so that the line would go straight. If they looked around in any way, If they looked around, they would get off course. Just like us as Christians, if we're going to plow the field, if you will, for the Lord, we have to look beyond our field. We have to gaze into heaven and keep our focus there as we're moving toward that destination. And Jesus here is saying, come and follow me. You can't wait on anyone else's approval if you really want to be my disciple. That's why in Galatians 1.10, Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So why do followers fade? I'll put it this way. Followers fade when self-centeredness overrides self-denial. Followers fade when obedience is confined to convenience. And followers fade when we seek approval outside the throne room of God. That's why followers fade. And I think that's what Jesus is telling us here. And there's no better way, I think, to illustrate what is going on this text then for you to hear an amazing testimony this morning? Because God is doing a new thing in Scotland, and God is doing a new thing here, and the two are connected. And all these flags that we have up here on the stage, they represent all the countries that we work in, and we'll be adding a Scotland flag very soon. And so would you please welcome to the stage my good friend, Louise. Louise.
1: Good morning everyone. May the grace and peace of the Lord be with you. It's so good to be here. Thank you very much for your warm welcome and for the amazing chicken fried. I love it. Fried chicken, that's the best place in the world for me. But uh, it's so good to be here to share what God is doing and God is doing a new thing like Pastor Chris just said. God is doing something around the world And you were part of that. I was so encouraged to see all these flags and see what God is doing. And His promise again and again is that He is doing a new thing. Sometimes we stop listening because we just like the first thing we hear. And the Bible says here in Isaiah 43 on verses 18 and 19, He says this, Remember not the former things. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God make new all things. And God make all things new in our lives. I didn't have the privilege to grow up as a Christian. I grew up in an atheist family, and I remember that the first time that I heard about Jesus was my father sitting me on the TV room and saying, "Louis, people will tell you lies. And then he explained about Zeus, about Jesus, and about a few other things that people would lie to me about in my life. But then I met someone a few years later. I met Danny, that is my wife today. You can see God was gracious to me even before I knew him, right? Uh, I don't know what she did to the Lord, but I know he was gracious to me. So, and then he showed me a lot more than just something or someone that she knew about. it. she was this bridge between me and God. She showed how real God is. And I was interested about the reality of God on her life. But then, when we were about to get married, and I continued not believing anything, the pastor came and had a very interesting conversation with me. And he said, a week before our wedding, I'll not marry you. I said, I'll sue you. How can you not marry us now? A week to get married. And he said, no, 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 you are too crazy, Louis. I'll not marry you. Unless you go to this uh, men's retreat with me a month after you get married. Look, I said yes. I would say yes to anything on that point. And I got married. On the day of the retreat, guys, I tried to escape. I was leaving my house before the time that I would leave every day. And I was just trying to escape. And guess who was by the gate? The pastor. I said, pastor, I think it's illegal to stalk some people around the city. And he said, Luis, you have a choice. You can come with me or I can be following you around. I said, I think the less damaging part of, I'll go with you to this retreat. On that retreat, we spent three days there. I couldn't wait to see it over and go back home because I didn't believe and didn't make any sense seeing all those men crying with their hands in the air. And, and, and it was all very strange to me. And then in the end of that time, I remember that I heard this verse for the first time. When the preacher, after finished that, po- that service, he went back, took the microphone and said, there's someone here that is asking God if he's real. And I just had asked that. I said, I don't believe that there's anything out there. But if there's anything out there, I'm not against you. I just don't believe you're real. And the pastor took the microphone and said that. At that moment, just looked down, <laughs> pretend that I was... Sleeping or something that is not with me. Actually, what I thought was, probably they do that every retreat. This is some uh, message that they did without me realizing. And now they're coming back. Aha, I'll just ignore it. He came to my direction and said, it's you. I thought, "Ah, maybe. They said, can I pray with you? I said, yeah, like, is everybody looking to me already? I think we will be less weird if you pray. <laughs> so he prayed with me. And I heard the living God speaking to me. As if you are watching us today and you are not sure if God exists, ask. God, I don't know if you exist, but show yourself to me if you do. And you will see a living God is starting to speak to you. Through creation, through people, but to your heart. And that day God spoke to me and He said, "Louis, I'm real. And I made you to share this message with the world. A pretty short sermon, really. But that's it. Louis. I'm real. Share this message with the world. And it was the first time I heard God say, and I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing in your life. I went to speak with the pastor of the church and I knocked on his door. He opened. He was surprised to see me. And then I I said to him, look, God is real. He looked at me and said, I know, I'm a pastor. (laughs) And I said, no, you don't. He said, I do. I said, you don't? He said, I do. I think he thought, uh, now he lost it. And I said, look, I had this encounter with God. And that's what I want to do with my life, to share with the world that God is real. He said, I know. I said, no, we have to live differently. He is real, like a person. More than a person. He's God. And he did with me, with every Methodist church in Brazil would do when a crazy person became a Christian. They sent me to seminary. (laughs) And I went to the seminary to be a minister. And that's what happened. God started to do amazing new things in our lives. And Dani and I started to plant churches on the slums in Curitiba, the city where we are from. And we started to plant churches there. And one of the churches we planted, we went to visit someone that had a heart attack. And Danny would sing, and Danny sang. And if I sing, people would cry for the wrong reasons. But when Danny sing, people connect to God. And then I shared a message, and they, asked, and they said, look, we want this Jesus. Can you come back next week? I said, yes. We went back on the following week, and we kept going for a whole year. When we had more than 100 people meeting on the street of the slums. And we would do a worship and a service every Monday. More than 75 people came to faith and were baptized during those on-street services. It was so good. God moved us to another church. He used the bishop. But God moved us to another church. Uh, to, and it was a church that was in a huge crisis. And I went to the Lord and said, Lord... You were using me. You said a new thing. And, and we saw this church coming up on this lump. And now I go to this traditional church that is in a crisis. And God said, "Louis, I'm doing a new thing. My wife and I, we braced ourselves and we went there. And that church that was 70 members, after five years, we were 2,000 people. We had planted 10 churches. God was doing amazing things. Because that's what God does. He does a new thing in your life. But He does everything in your life new by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, I don't know if God will lead you to a new thing, a new ministry on this church. A new thing that He will do. But I'm certain that whatever you are doing, He will renew by the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive in you. So we experience amazing things. On the end of that, we received the visit of the Methodist Church in Britain. To see the growth of the church in Brazil. And my bishop said, "Louis, you will receive these guys. I said, bishop, they will not like our church. And he said, I know, but there's nowhere else we can send them. So, receive them and behave. <laughs> I, said, I said, bishop, I don't know if you know, but British people, they are proper. Uh, and they are on the clock. And I not even know where is the battery of the clock of the church. We, we, we just don't use it. So we receive them. And after a weekend with us, I think they were desperate. They invite Danny and I to go to England and to start the help, to help the church there. God was so good. I, once again, when they invited, my bishops respond for me because that's what they do. They said, he will go. And I went to pray and God said, Louis, I'm doing a new thing. Go. And I confess that I arrived in England thinking, God is doing a new thing. will be amazing. So on my first service, I stood there and I said, good night, church. And someone uh, just said from the first pew, said, "Ah, here we go. It's good evening, Louis. I said, this is not a very good start, but I'll go to my sermon. And my sermon was all about commitment, right? It's a good way to start a service, right? But then commitment in Portuguese is compromisso that when you type on Word document will be changed to compromise. So my first service was it's time to compromise. (laughs) I'm here to help you to compromise with your values. I'm here to help you to compromise the Bible and put into practice in your life. It's a new season, it's the season of compromise, guys. And to be honest, the English people, they didn't respond very well to the message. <laughs> and I was thinking like, hmm, they are very cold. They don't respond, so I spoke even louder, compromise! And then I finished with an altar call. If you want to compromise now, come to the front. No one came. I was petrified, like, how could they be so cold not to help the minister on the first service? So I looked to my wife, and I asked help. Like, if you want to, maybe you have a good marriage, but you want to commit again. I was thinking, but I said, if you want to compromise this good marriage, (laughs) come to the front, and she did. (laughs) So it was only my wife and I on the front compromising our marriage for everybody else. For us, we were renewing our marriage, but everybody else was like, So after a lot of conversation with the leadership team and the stewards of the church and the superintendent got involved and everybody else, I explained what I meant by that, and half of the church came back, so don't worry. But I went to the church and said, guys, we have an amazing uh, church here in the UK, and God is doing great things at that time. We were in a small island called Guernsey. I said, so let's... Let's start to plant churches in places that never had a church before. And that's when we started a church planting program in Kenya. But the idea was to go to tribes that never had a church before. And we went to uh, uh, between the Samburu, the Lu area in Kenya, and started to go to tribes that never had, some tribes with six, 10,000 people. And we started to plant churches and we led. Uh, by the grace of God, many group of of English people to, to Africa. And we saw 23 new churches coming to life to the glory of God on that time. Because God is doing a new thing. But do you know what was the most amazing moment? Was when after one service in a tribe, this man came to me and he was very strong. And he came and he was sobbing. And I said, okay, he's very strong and he saw sobbing, might be a good sign. And then he came to me and he said, you were preaching that Jesus is the only way. Do we believe that? Jesus is the only way? And then I said, yes, he's the only way. And then he stopped and he looked at me and said, what happened to my father that died last year? He never heard about Jesus. No one ever came to talk about Jesus. And then he started to, sh- to shake and cry and he said, Why, why you didn't come before? Why no one else from your friends came before? He would have accepted, but no one came. And on that moment, I was crying, he was crying. And I said, I I, I don't have an answer for that. But the only thing I can say is that I believe God is doing a new thing and we will never stop going. Never stop going. And Danny and I on that day, we, we commit to never stop going. And God said, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing in your life. But for that, like Pastor Chris said, we need to say, here I am, Lord, send me. But unfortunately, many Christians say, here I am, Lord, send Louis. Here I am, Lord, send Pastor Chris. And on that day, we said, Lord, here I am, send us, we'll never stop going. And do you know how long it took that? few weeks, because after that, we were, I received a call from someone that said, can you come to Peru and help? I said, of course I will, send the ticket. And the person didn't send. After a few months, I was praying, and God asked me, "Louis, what would you do for me? I said, Lord, I would die for you. All, I would die for you. We, we think that, right? And then I felt God saying to me, Luis, you didn't go to Peru. Of course, you wouldn't die for me. I said, God, I would. The person didn't send the ticket. And God said, Luis, you're not even prayed to know if it was my will or not. The pay right wasn't right and you didn't do the work. And then God said that to me, Luis, don't make me a business. I'm God. Don't do things only if it makes sense. Don't do things only if, if you have the money, if the pay right is right. Do what I ask you to do on the time that I ask you to do, and I'll be with you. Once again, Danny and I prayed, and I heard God saying, remember not the former things, I'm doing a new thing. On that day, we said, God, here I am. And God said, move to Manchester. And I was part of the Methodist church. We moved to Manchester. We were, I was part-time doing consultancy with churches there. And part-time I was uh, planting a church, Connect Church. On the day that we planted the church, the first service, we had 100 people there. A lot of people starting to accept Jesus. Drug dealers starting to assist, drug lords start to accept Jesus. Prostitutes and people start to come to church. It was amazing. Then the Methodist church in Britain decided to go to roots that were not godly. And we had a decision to make. Would we stay with the church that we loved and supported? Or would we stay with the Lord that paid with his life for my life? And with tears in our eyes, sobbing, we resigned from the Methodist church after a strong conversation with the leaders. When they said to me, "Louis, we made our decision. You need to make yours. That's the path we want to go. And Danny and I, we went to a very dark moment where we resigned, and I was so hurt. Not because we worship a denomination, we don't, but that was part of my family. That's who I was, in a way. And seeing them deciding to go in a path of destruction, of of, of not blessing, and I couldn't help, that was hurting me. On that time, we found a family called the Free Methodist Church. And on that time, God renewed our sense of, hey, I'm doing a new thing, not just here in Manchester, Louis. I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you perceive it, the new thing that God is doing in your life? Do you perceive it, the new thing that God is doing here on Fraser? Do you perceive it? And on that time, we got a gift. Someone gave us a gift to go on a holiday to Scotland. We did go to Scotland, and I confess that we were driving through Glasgow, was raining, was horrible weather in August, very cold. And as a Brazilian, I was with my jacket in August, in Glasgow, and God, and God spoke to us, Louis. I'm doing a new thing. I said, oh, here we go, <laughs> and God said, Louis. Everything I did in your life, I did to build up your life, to bring you to Glasgow. You will move here. We will plant churches here. And we will make a difference on this place. And God remind me of 20 years before that, when I was in a bus accident. A bus that 40 people died. I was on the first seat. I was alive. I spoke to Jesus about Jesus to the driver that was dying, his last breath was Jesus. And when I was there on the side of the bus and, and just hearing God speaking to me, that my best friend that was with me on the bus was with him on heaven. But God said, Louis, I'm doing a new thing in your life. And you go to places that you never heard, like Montgomery, and you will speak to people that you haven't met. And I will move you to places where you will see my grace abundantly. And God reminded me. He said, "Louis, not just around the world, but now it's time to go to Glasgow. And my wife and I, we were in a car and I was thinking two things. First of all, Lord, now Danny will send me alone. Because I dragged her throughout England. And now that we finally got, a, uh, we were working for a Christian charity. We had our house. Now she will say, go alone. <laughs> The second thing, Lord, the only thing I know about Scotland is, I, I don't know anything else. <laughs> Lord, took me a lot for people to understand me in England. One of the best compliments I heard in England was that after four years in the church, this lady came to me and said, what an amazing sermon. On my last sermon, I said, oh, you like it? She said, I almost understood everything you said. I said, Lord, now we will restart the whole thing. And they use kilts. I'm Brazilian. I can't use a kilt. <laughs> like, I don't even understand them. And I spoke to Danny and we prayed and God confirmed to Danny. Then God said, now we speak to the leader of your church. And then I called John, the leader of the Free Methodist Church in UK. And I, said, I sent a message and he called me and he said, why are you asking about Scotland? We don't have a church in Scotland. Are you feeling called to go? I said, I am. But I just joined the Free Methodist Church. It's a church that talks about holiness and church planting. But I'm, I was planting in Manchester. John, I feel God is calling me. He said, Louis, I received a call from a superintendent in the United States, from the Free Methodist Church, asking about church planting in Scotland. And I said that uh, we didn't have anything. And he said, look, pay attention. Something's coming that will start in Scotland. And we will help. And he didn't share with anyone else. Then God started to confirm. And one of the first things that we did was to pray and say, God, we put that before you. And if it's you, please confirm. We said that one day. And the next day, we received a call from Pastor Chris. I think John received a call from Pastor Chris saying that had an offering to the church plant in Scotland. Danny and I, we sold our house. And a month ago, we arrived in Scotland. With this promise of the Lord, that the Lord will change what is happening there. Around Glasgow, in a suburb of Glasgow, seven out of ten adults, on average, have problems with addiction. A third of kids are going to bed in a household that is either abusive or living with a deprived situation or not having all the meals that they need. And that is in Europe. And when I saw all that, when I saw that last year, two churches closed their doors every week in Glasgow. The numbers now are so low that 49.5% of Glaswegians self-proclaimed themselves as atheists. And when I saw all that, God said, "Louis, I'm doing a new thing. I'll send you to Glasgow. And while you'll be doing that, you will start a coffee shop. I said, Lord, coffee shop? <laughs> they didn't teach me this subject on seminary. <laughs> I said, uh, the only thing I know is to ask an Americano, Lord. Danny likes cappuccino. That's all our expertise. And God said, you will start a, uh, a coffee shop because people are afraid of church. And you will start a place that will be this bridge to the community and you will serve a lot more than coffee people will come you guys will talk to them we'll share Jesus with them parallel to that we just decided 3 days ago by faith that Dani will leave her job amen <laughs> we don't have money but she will leave her job and she will be on a coffee shop to be the bridge between the coffee shop and the church Dani is a psychologist so she will be running courses to help people Uh, people that are struggling with addiction, people that are struggling with debt, people that are struggling with their mental health. We'll do a lot of courses parallel to the coffee shop, inviting people from the community to help to serve them. And we'll be planting a church that will send missionaries and receive missionaries. And I pray that one of the first, if not the first, will be a group from Fraser. And we will be seeing God doing a new thing in Glasgow. That will make a way in the wilderness. Every single person that uh, we spoke in England, that we were moving to Scotland said, what have you done? But God looks to them as their children. God looks to them as the people that he loves. And we will see rivers in the desert. We will see revival in in the drug capital of Europe. That is Glasgow. We will see Jesus Christ honoring the prayer of men and women that came before me. We are not doing anything new. God is. And there are people praying for the salvation of Scotland for thousands of years. John Knox. There's a big monument in Glasgow. And he's with his hands over Glasgow holding the Bible. The man that prayed his entire life. God, give me Scotland or I'll die. And that's my prayer today. God. God. Give us Scotland to you. Honor the prayer of men and women, many of them that helped us to be here today. Lord, they send missionaries to this country, they send families to this country. It's time that we pray and we see a reverse way to transform that nation. I would like to pray with you today for two things. The first thing is that God is doing a new thing in your life. I don't know what it is. And I know that some people when hear that says, "Louis, the best time passed. Or "Louis, you know, I did my part. Now I'm just enjoying something else. Let me say, when God says a new th- He does new things, it's to destroy the lie of the enemy that is too late for you. It's never too late with Jesus. The second thing is that if God is doing a new thing in your life, he is doing everything new through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So, whatever you are doing, you'll be renewed and we'll see a renewal. But maybe God is calling you to a new ministry on this church or to help in an area of this church that you never thought before. And the second thing I would like to pray is for Glasgow that we may stand together. We cannot do this on our own, but together we can see. Streams in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Father, in Jesus' name, we give all honor and glory to you. We can't do anything on our own, but in you, all things are possible. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray, Lord, for a new thing that you are doing on their lives. Speak clearly to them, I pray. In the same moment that I pray, Lord, renew the lives, ministries, and hearts of my brothers and sisters, that they may go back home renewed by your power. They may go back to their ministries renewed by their power. And Lord, we pray, transform Glasgow. Transform Scotland. We pray, Lord, bring that nation back to their knees, saying, Jesus is the Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: have noticed in the text I started with, there's these three interactions with Jesus and these three people, and if you may notice that we actually do not get their response. It's as if Luke leaves us hanging, and I think he does that intentionally because the question that Luke, Dr. Luke, wants us to ask is how will we respond? Will we count the cost and follow Will we have real-time immediate obedience and will we have real-time immediate allegiance to him above all things? And I think that's part of our challenge today. It's part of what God is stirring in us is will we be that kind of disciple both here and around the world? And please do be praying for Louise and Danny and what is taking place. Uh, It's amazing how God has brought this together. Uh, This morning, you can actually give. You can give on the app, just... Uh, uh, under the options just uh, click on uh, the Scotland project uh, you give them the boxes in the back just put it on the four line the memo line Scotland um, or you can put it in an envelope uh, and we would love to send them home with a love offering this morning but it's more than that it's more than just some startup money uh, I want you to get one of these brochures if you can uh, Danny and Louise are going to be out at the table at the missions wall you'll be able to meet them and talk to them and get one of these Uh, Because this is more than just taking up an offering. This is a partnership. Uh, This is something that the Lord is doing and brought together in a miraculous way. And I'm so thankful for it, and I'm excited for what God is doing. And one day when we have time, I'll talk about the spiritual heritage and connection between Montgomery, Alabama and Glasgow, Scotland, but that'll be for another day. Today, I think our challenge is clear. God is calling us to count the cost. He's calling us to be obedient. He's calling us to give him our ultimate allegiance. And so, Lord, would you help us do that? Would you help us do that today? Right now, in this moment, as we have heard your word, as we have heard this amazing testimony, Lord, would you create in us and give us that kind of faith? And in those moments where we're not sure we have that kind of faith, would we say what the man said so long ago to your son? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That we may be your disciples. In Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. If we would please stand to your feet as we close.